I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. San Francisco's Chinatown has faced a double whammy this year. It's coped not only with the COVID-19 pandemic and shutdown, but racism too. In January and February, long before the rest of San Francisco closed, it was already losing business over misplaced fears the virus was more prevalent there. Joining me today is Melissa Hung, who has deep ties to Chinatown and has spent a lot of time in the neighborhood. She has a fascinating piece in the Chronicle's throughline section, tracing the history of the neighborhood and imagining its future after the pandemic. Melissa Hung, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love your story in the Chronicle's latest throughline section, um, which takes a look at um, Chinatown and re- kind of reimagines its future. Um, you have a really deep connection with the neighborhood, and I wondered if we could begin by you telling me more about that. Sure. My family actually, um, when they immigrated from China, they came through San Francisco Chinatown. There's an ancestor who is from my mother's village who... Um, who came here. He was here. He survived the 1906 earthquake. So there are definitely ties in my family going way back, which I didn't know about when I was growing up. There's a family association in Chinatown. There are many, but one uh, with my mother's family's name on it. Oh, that's really cool. And so did you grow up going to Chinatown often? Uh, well, I grew up in Texas, actually. So I, oh, okay. Yeah, so I grew up going to Houston's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't m- move to the Bay Area until about 20 years ago. But once I got here, I definitely went to Chinatown a lot, both Oakland and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And before the pandemic, can you describe your perfect day in Chinatown? Yeah, I had this routine that was kind of upended by the pandemic. I would uh, take the bus, either the 8 or the uh, you know, 30 Stockton, whatever was coming. And I would uh, get off, walk a couple blocks, go down to the um, Chinatown YMCA. They have a wonderful saltwater pool. And I would, you know, change in the locker room, uh, eavesdrop on the aunties talking in Cantonese <laughs> and, uh, you know, go for my swim. Afterwards, I would walk down the street, go to Eastern Bakery, get a snack, usually a cha siu bao and, and walk around um, the neighborhood or just sit in on a bench in the park and, you know, just enjoy the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds fun. I want to go with you sometime when, when life returns to normal, hopefully. <laughs> um, what advice would you give someone who's never been to Chinatown and, and wants to go um, in terms of visiting the, the best spots? I would say to... You know, lots of people come down Grant Street because it's, you know, a wide street, flat street. It's the main drag through Chinatown. But really, you should also go on the side streets. That's where many of the restaurants are. Walk through the alleys. There's lots, you know, it's a very dense neighborhood for San Francisco, one of the oldest. It has a lot of small alleys that have been here since the 1800s. So I would wander around those little nooks and crannies and, you know, to see more of the neighborhood. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has been a disaster for all of San Francisco and the country at large. But Chinatown has faced a double whammy because of the virus itself and the racism that's so tied up in it. And even President Trump continues to call the coronavirus the China flu and the China virus. How has that kind of rhetoric affected Chinatown? 
it really makes people af- afraid for their safety, you know, afraid of being harassed. And, you know, the rhetoric fans the flames all across the country, not just in Chinatown, but of course, people in Chinatown are, you know, they're already cooped up inside their homes. And then they're a little bit afraid to go outside because you never know when you might be harassed, you know, harassed, spat on. One of the sources I talked to said, you know, a friend of hers was spat on, told to go back to her country, you know, things like that. So it's uh, it's also been terrible for businesses. It's really impacted Asian businesses, you know, just carrying on people incorrectly thinking that they're going to get the virus from Chinese food or something ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. And I believe that um, Chinatown was facing that kind of issue even before the city shut the rest of San Francisco down, that it was losing um, business even in January and February, right, because of these racist ideas that people would get the virus by going there. Yeah, the the visitorship really dropped in January and February way before um, other neighborhoods were affected. And January and February are very crucial to Chinatown because it is, uh, you know, it's right before the Chinese New Year. And mm-hmm. m- many of their businesses make, you know, 30% of their revenue during that time. So to have revenue drop then is really devastating to them. And then so they've been dealing with the pandemic, loss of income from the pandemic for for longer than other businesses. Mm-hmm. And you wrote about a Chinatown Community Development Center survey of 32 restaurants in Chinatown that found 70 percent of them are not sure they'll survive the rest of this year. Um, of course, all restaurants around San Francisco are, are struggling these days, but Chinatown restaurants face some p- particular hurdles. Um, can you talk about those? Sure. A lot of the restaurants in Chinatown, you know, they're still relatively affordable compared to other restaurants in the city. And that's because they uh, operate on volume, really. Their margins are very slim. I mean, they're slim for, for all restaurants, but they're especially mm-hmm. slim in Chinatown. And so without the volume, that you know, they're really unable to, uh, you know, take care of business. I think a lot of them also may not be that savvy when it comes to apps, delivery apps, web, you know, even building out a website. Uh, there's language barriers, digital divides. So uh, the takeout model doesn't really work for a lot of those restaurants or the delivery mm-hmm. model. And so they are really, you know, struggling with whether or not they should even keep their doors open, you know. And another point is that Chinatown's restaurants are really an important um, source of starter jobs for new immigrants. If you don't have, you know, proficient English skills, if you don't have work history, you know, where are you going to find work? So they've also been important just to the community in that way. Mm-hmm. I thought it was also interesting that you pointed out that um, so many restaurants around San Francisco can put a seating outside or even build a parklet um, to put tables outdoors uh, where it's believed that transmission of the virus is lower, but Chinatown is mostly on hills, and so even logistically, they have fewer options. Right. Logistically, that's hard. But, you know, they'd have to figure out a way to build some kind of parklet that's leveled on the street, you know, on a hill to provide that seating, and that's very you know, expensive, right, to, mm-hmm. to get those supplies. I think the price of lumber has also shot up. So they're facing like multiple challenges when it comes to trying to provide outdoor seatings, which uh, other neighborhoods have been able to do. Yeah, I think Grant is one street in the area that's um, shut down on weekends for 
the shared spaces program. But other than that, um, it's few and far between in that part of the city. I'll be back with Melissa Hung for more on her throughline piece, Reimagining Chinatown. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Melissa Hung. What are some of the ways that CCDC and other groups are stepping up to help small businesses? So CCDC teamed up with a bunch of other organizations to uh, simultaneously help restaurants and also residents in the neighborhood. They were able to fund restaurants for three months to cook and to um, provide and deliver through the help of volunteers meals to residents living in SROs and in public housing who often don't have, you know, they have limited access to kitchens. So they were able to run this program for three months. They've also teamed up with the uh, Chinese Chamber of Commerce to uh, provide grant a grant program to help restaurants do outdoor dining if they want to. But again, there are lots of challenges for, for them to do that. And I think right now, um, one of the restaurants, Far East Cafe, has been able to provide outdoor dining because they are on Grant Street. But again, most of the other ones are on hills and have problems trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And banquet halls in Chinatown have historically been really important and continue to be, although there's fewer of them now than there used to be. How are they faring through the pandemic? You know, it's very tough for them because they're, you know, lar- they're meant to for large celebrations. You know, they you can host, you know, 500 people in there. And, and you know, we're not getting together in big groups right now. So uh, they've you know, it's it's been rough for them. And banquet halls are very, you know, Malcolm Young at CCDC talks about how they're such an important part of the backbone in terms of culture in Chinatown. It's where we get together to celebrate, you know, and gather. And they and also provide, you know, a f- a relatively affordable meals. Like where else are you going to, you know, feed 500 people at 50 bucks a head, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, so it's been rough for them. I mean, New Asia is um, has transformed into kind of a temporary grocery store to try to survive. And, you know, I think people are very worried that if they if they go, there's only those two banquet halls left. You know, if they go, they're afraid it could really change the character of the neighborhood. It would be kind of an unlikely business to start from the ground up anytime soon, right? Yeah, it seems hard with a restaurant that big that's supposed to feed so many people at one time. I mean, it was a huge loss when the Empress closed, you know, Mm -hmm. so they're still reeling from losing that space. Was that a financial issue or do you know why, why they closed? You know, I don't, I don't remember why they closed, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know the community really rallied to try to save it as a a restaurant or some kind of cultural institution. Mm Mm-hmm. Your piece talks a lot about um, Chinatown's fascinating history and how it has been through a lot of upheaval in the past and survived. I wondered if you could speak to a couple of examples of that and and how you think it will weather the COVID-19 storm. Yeah, Chinatown has had to reinvent itself over the years. I mean, I think part of, uh, you know, it's always faced racism. I mean, you know, it exists because it is, you know, an ethnic enclave. Um there have been attempts over the years to get Chinatown to move. Uh, there was a small, you know, a smallpox epidemic in 1875 to 76, and again, it's a, it's kind of history repeating itself. It was blamed yeah. on the Chinese at that time, even though there's absolutely no evidence. And they tried to, um, you know, quarantine all the Chinese or, or get them to move. You know, um, after the 1906 earthquake, when uh, China and fire. Chinatown was destroyed then. Uh, city officials tried to move it 
into Baby Hunter's Point, rebuild it over there. And the Chinese community really rallied to, you know, hold on to their neighborhood. They um, purposely hired white architects to rebuild Chinatown in this kind of um, exaggerated oriental style. You know, the pagodas on the buildings, Mm -hmm. the the dragon motifs, things like that. They they did that on purpose to to attract tourists and business into the neighborhood. And, um, you know, again, like during the Cold War, that was another time where it was very hard for Chinese Americans to find jobs outside of Chinatown. They wanted to attract business into the neighborhood. They wanted to kind of let people know, you know, hey, we're we're Americans. We're, you know, come to our neighborhood, hang out with us. So they kind of invented the Chinese New Year parade. I mean, it had been happening kind of on a small scale before, but then they had they they had the Miss Chinatown pageant. These were all things to kind of attract people into the neighborhood, introduce them to the culture and really sustain the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And Chinatown backers are hopeful that one thing that will help the neighborhood survive and thrive after the pandemic is over is the new Arts and Culture Center. Can you describe what that plan is? Sure. There, This is an unprecedented uh, collaboration between six community organizations. It's called the Chinatown Media and Arts Collaborative, and they're hoping to open a cultural facility in the vein of uh, the MoMA PS1 in New York to really have cutting edge exhibits, contemporary art, uh, you know, a place where people can have dialogue. They hope it will be um, an international and regional destination that will attract people to Chinatown and get them to come back to the neighborhood and to stay and to learn something. You know, a lot of people come to Chinatown and they maybe walk up and down Grand Street, but they they don't really stay that long and they're hoping or, or learn anything about the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So they're hoping that that they can do that. They'll, it'll attract people who can come again and again to learn new things. Oh, cool. And so um, picture in the future, hopefully not too long in the future, when this pandemic is over and life is resuming um, and Chinatown is bustling again, what would be the first thing you would want to do there? I would definitely love to return for a swim. I miss uh, the aunties at the the Chinatown YMCA, and then I would get a snack and probably meet up with my friends for a meal. And what would you order? I would definitely go to Capitol and order the chicken wings. <laughs> Good to know. I will mark that down on my to-do list. Um, great. Well, it was fun to talk to you, and thanks for your story. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thank you to Melissa Hung for joining me today, to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode, and to you for listening.